Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. You know, there's a lot of things people said about Pastor Tom, and I, I don't, I, I wanted to say all those things, and I don't want to take your time to repeat them. But um, two words that come to my mind are real integrity. Uh, they're real. Real people, like not fake, not phony, not, uh, I, I happen to know like, like they were loving the outpouring of, of love and appreciation that they were receiving, but hating it at the same time because they, they do this to lift up the name of Jesus and to invest in others. But the Bible is very clear that we should show honor to those whom honor is due. And so what we've done here today is a godly and biblical thing. Um, but these are people of integrity who love what they're called to do and they focus on it 100%. And 20 years is not something to, to uh, sneeze at. It's, it's such a big deal. In fact, um, let me tell you a little bit about pastors. This is brand new data. They're constantly doing data like this. 72% of pastors work 55 to 75 hours a week. 80% feel that ministry has negatively affected their family. That's, that's a lot four out of five, to affect your family. 78% have had vacation interrupted for ministry, to which I want to know, where did the 22% go on vacation? <laughs> Clearly it doesn't have cell service because I don't know how that happens all the time. Listen to this statistic. 66% of church members expect a pastor and family to live to a higher moral standard than they do. I want to stop and just preach about that, actually. So unbiblical, that's, that's not accurate. But maybe that is why this next scary statistic is true. 80% of pastors and 84% of pastors' wives feel unqualified to do what they do. Can you imagine that? In pulpits, 400,000 pulpits uh, around the country today, four out of five pastors don't feel qualified to do what they're doing. 70% of pastors and their wives have a lower self-image now than, they went in, than when they went into ministry. 84% of pastors lack a friend that they can be honest with. 16% of pastors have a friend they can be honest with. I, I was reading that statistic and I thought, actually, that's why I'm here today. Because I'm one of the 16% who has a friend I can be honest with. And that is Pastor Tom. Uh, who will always, on my worst day, be for me and, and, and love me and want the best for me, but will also kick me in the gut at any moment with truth, truth that you need to hear. Do you know the Bible says that, that um, it's better to have wounds from a brother than flattery from an enemy? you know that? And if you have a faithful friend who would wound you like Pastor Tom uh, will telling you the harsh truth, that's a blessing. Pastors are lonely. Pastors' wives are even lonelier. The divorce rate is higher for pastors than it is for church members. Can you believe that? Why is that? Is it because pastors don't believe in Scripture? They don't understand? No. Is it because they didn't love the person? No, it's because of the, the, the pressure cooker that ministry is. Just in the last year, four out of every ten pastors surveyed said they considered quitting the ministry in the last year alone, and only one out of every 10 pastors who feels called into the ministry will retire as a pastor. 90% will quit. They won't be faithful. 
For whatever reason, the struggles and the pressures of life will help them, uh, will keep them from being faithful. And I'm so honored that uh, Pastor Tom and Brenda are faithful all the way through 20 years and beyond. Um, and I, I'm here, I drove up today because of how much love and respect and, and sincere admiration I have for Tom and Brenda. I learned the key to Brenda's heart a long time ago. If, if you're not sure what the key to Brenda's heart is, it's very simple. Love her husband and she will love you back. I've never met a woman who loves her husband like, like, like Brenda loves Tom. And if you love Tom, Brenda will love you back. All right? That's all that is. Every man needs a woman who loves them like Brenda Sturbins loves Tom. And puts up with his crap, by the way. Do you say crap in church at New Hope? Because there's a lot of stuff to put up with. Okay, let's move on. You know, the Bible says that the steps of good people are ordered by God. And, and while I was thinking about what I would say about Pastor Tom and Brenda, I couldn't stop thinking about you. You, everybody here, people that most of us, I don't know your names. And, and I want to stop for a minute. And I want to tell you for the next few minutes, let's talk about you. Amen. Let's talk about your life. You know, the, the steps of God's people are ordered by the Lord. And did you know you are God's people? You say, well, no, I'm an, I'm an atheist. This is my first time here. I don't even know what's going on. You got these weird things. This must be a cult. You know, <laughs> whatever you're thinking, you were made in the image of God. And, and whether you know him as your father or not, he is still your father. Whether you believe you're his son or daughter, you are. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And actually what we're doing today is valuable and an important part of the church, which God wants you to be a part of. What, whatever you dress like, whatever your family was like, whatever you did last night, God wants you to be a part of his church. I don't mean he wants you to join and donate money. The church is way larger than that. He wants you to be a part of his church. Now I have about, the word church to me is amazing. And I have about five different working definitions of the word church. That's about 495 less than Pastor Tom. You know about his working definitions, don't you? Do you know about his work? Here's mine about the church. Listen carefully. The church is simply followers of Christ called apart from culture to change the culture by embracing the culture with love. That's what the church is. You'll notice that definition says nothing about how you vote or how you dress or whether or not you got ink under your skin. None of that matters in the church. But the church is a group of people, followers of Jesus, who are called out of culture so that they can change the culture by embracing the culture with love. And, and that, that really, I, that's what I want to talk to you about today because I can't think of anything that would bless your family more than for you to be fully engaged with God's church and to fully receive the benefits of the church. Bill Heibel said, the local church is the hope of the world. And I believe that. That word church, by the way, if you've been around here, you've probably heard PT talk about this. But the word church is, of course, wasn't written in English. The Greek word ekklesia that Jesus used simply literally means, by a definition, the called out ones. People who are called out, they're not supposed to be like everybody else. They're not supposed to see the world as everyone else does. Because we're not here to get, we're here to give. We know this life is not about me, it's about the next life, and I'm preparing myself and others for that next life. And here's what, I want to show you a few Bible verses. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Here's a little bit about God's opinion of his church. Um, yeah, 
That's a little bit of a different translation, but that's okay. So you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. God's household, which is the church of the living God. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be a part of God's house? Did you grow up, I don't know if you grew up in a perfect family, everything was awesome and perfect and wonderful and y'all were great. You might have had a little bit of a whack situation, but you get to be a part of God's house. And the Bible says that God's house is the pillar, everybody shout pillar, pillar. and foundation. foundation. The pillar and the foundation of your life is God's church. That's why it's so valuable that you're a part. Now, I want to show you a couple pictures. This is the kind of house I'd like to live in. There's a little picture here. Looks like that house is on a solid concrete foundation. Like the pretty part really is not what's holding it up. All that pretty you see is not what's There's something underneath that that you don't see. It, it's solid. It's concrete. It's steel reinforced. It's rebar. That's a solid foundation. Imagine that. That's not really a house, but that's your life. I would want a life that looks like that, solid. I got it together. I'm going somewhere. Well, the Bible says that God's church that you're a part of, even here today, is that solid foundation and the pillar of your life. Unfortunately, many of us look more like this next house. Uh, we don't have a solid foundation. Can, can, can you see there how like clearly the veneer, the outside looks fine. There's pretty stuff. There's all kind of decorative stuff, but something underneath was not done well. I want to submit to you that there are a lot of people with Jesus fishes on the back of their car and Bible verses in their profile on Facebook that really they don't have a foundation of God's church. They got some religion. They know some Bible stories, but their life is falling apart just like that. I might actually be talking about you and you're not a hypocrite. You're not trying to be fake or false. You just don't understand why. If you've tried to be kind of like God, you sort of go to church. Why does my life look like this house right now? Let me tell you, there's more to church than saying, I show up on Sunday. So I want to show you how to make your life that solid foundation. Three things I'm going to show you. Do me a favor. Pretend like, even if it's on Pastor Tom's forehead, pretend like you're writing stuff down. Here's what I've learned. Statistics tell me that one week from today, all right, one week from today, you will have forgotten 90% of what I said. That's pretty encouraging to give your whole life to this experience. And 10% gets through, all right? That's just people. But statistics tell me that you'll, you'll, you'll remember five times as much if you write it down. Even if you write it down on a piece of paper and throw it away. If you write it down in a note file and then you never open it again on your phone, you'll retain five times more just by doing that. So do yourself a favor every time. And Pastor Tom, you need two pens to write everything down. He's going to tell you, right? But for me, you'll just need a small uh, writing, like a golf pencil, okay, to keep along. I'm going to tell you three things that will make your house solid and stable. Here's the first thing. Believe the church. Say it with me, believe in the church. Why, why would I believe in the church? Why, why is that? Why would I believe in the church? Because really, that's the opposite of what people are doing. People are questioning and doubting every organization that people don't trust their bank, they don't trust their boss, they don't trust the government, I can understand. <laughs> the, no organizational uh, trust is there. It's at an all-time low. In fact, if you ask 20-somethings in America today, do you believe in God? 84% will say yes. If you ask them, do you believe in the local church? One half of 1% of 20-year-olds say yes. Why is that? 
Well, because the devil has an awesome campaign. The Bible, Jesus called him the father of lies, and he's assaulted and attacked the church with a lot of lies. And you know what? There's a few true things out there that are wrong about this pastor or that church or that organization. And so he wants to talk us all into just throwing away the whole thing Jesus gave his life for. But I believe in the church because the church, listen, is stronger than hell. Jesus told me that and told us that in Matthew 16 and 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who is Jesus? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And listen, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And skipping ahead to verse 18, Jesus said, and I say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. You're Peter, uh, uh, Petros, a small pebble, and upon this rock, this Petra, this giant stone of truth. He didn't build his church on a man, but he built it on a giant stone of truth. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not what? will not prevail against it. Jesus said that all of the authority, the gates represent the authority, all of the authority of hell will not prevail against his church. He didn't say that about your cool Christian t-shirt. He didn't say that about the, the, the memory verse that you kind of remember from when you used to go to church. He didn't say that about, you know, the Jesus fish on the back of your car or that you go to a retreat or a Christian concert that you pay $25 for three times a year. That's not what he said. He said, my church. He said the gates of hell. Gates represent authority in Jesus' day that literally was where the city hall, that's the seat of government. If there was a strategy to be put together for the military to attack, it would have taken place at the gates of the city. What Jesus was saying is if hell stops everything they're doing to call together an assembly to put together the greatest scheme and amass all their forces against you, if you're a part of my church, that strategy will not prevail because you're a part of the church of the living God. I wish you'd praise God for his church and his love for his church. Yeah, that, that, I don't know about you. I want into that organization. If there's such an organization that exists, a family that exists that says, if I'm a part of that, I've got the power and the purpose and the protection of Jesus, I want in that. I don't care if somebody misbehaved at a church in California. I don't care if it's unpopular or somebody thinks I'm mind-numbed and a part of a uh, a cult. <laughs> I don't care what they think. I want to, my family to have a seat at that table. In fact, the Bible says this. How much does Jesus love his church? Ephesians 5 and 25. Christ also loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her. People famously say things like, well, you know, I can find God all by myself up in these mountains. Just me and God on a mountain. That's really cool. It sounds really awesome. Just one problem. It's just not biblical. There's nowhere in the Bible about you and God finding each other apart from everybody else. In fact, I'll blow your mind even farther. I'm here to love you and leave you, okay? So whatever I mess up, Pastor Tom will clean up next week. I'm out of here. Before you can even get unmad, I'll be in Alabama, okay? So I'll just go ahead and tell you. Let me go ahead and tell you. Quote me on this. Jesus did not die for you. Jesus, I know, but you're like, but no, I got the t-shirt that says, I know it. I know about the t-shirt. He didn't die for you. He died for us. That's Bible. You can't be the called out ones by yourself unless you're a victim of multiple personality disorder, okay? 
There's just one of you. I don't care if you change your pronouns or not and you think you're them. You're, you're you, all right? There's just one of you, all right? And Jesus died for the church, which is a group of people called out from culture to lock arms and change the world to fight. And our warfare is love and prayer and service. I want to be a part of that group. You know, Lone Ranger Christians aren't a part of the church, nor are you a part of his power or protection or all the promises that he's given. Listen, there's a lot of stuff to be against that, 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 that's in the modern Western church. The prosperity gospel, celebrity preachers that fly private jets, you know, the way money is thrown around at certain churches. There's a lot of that to be against. But my question for you is, what are you for? Jesus is for his church. So much that he died for his church. That's how much he loves his church. So you know what? There's, there, there, there's a, a lot of reasons biblically, but you can look outside of that and you can look at uh, statistical performance of people's lives. People who go to church are less likely to divorce, uh, t- t- twice as likely to divorce, uh, half as likely to divorce. In other words, if you're not in the church, you're twice as likely to divorce. They're less likely to have psychological mental problems. They're healthier. They live longer. The list goes on and on. Kids have higher education. People make more money. These are all statistical facts, none of which did Jesus promise or even say he was going to do. Those things are not as valuable to him as your soul and heart. I'm just telling you, when he said, I'm going to bless my church, you're going to see it coming and going in and out of your family. If you follow him, that's the first step. Everybody say, I believe believe. you got to believe in his church. You got to have confidence in his church and say, there are warts and there are mistakes. And there are people out there who have in the name of Jesus and in the name of his church made some mistakes, but Jesus's church is what he died for. And I want in. come on, say it with me. I want in and I want to be a part of his church. Now that was a fun part. Here's the mean part. Number two in my notes is you start with believing in the church, but next you need to submit to the church. Very, very true and very biblical. This is going to get difficult. Hebrews 13 and 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey your leaders. Everybody say that first word with me. Obey your leaders and what? Submit to them because they keep watch over your souls as those who will give account. If you're not a pastor, you're not a church leader, here's the good news for you. You'll never stand before God and give account for somebody else's spirituality. Isn't that wonderful? Look around. <laughs> I got a meddling spirit. You know, it kind of, sometimes it's anointing and sometimes it's to, you know, you're here to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. You know, that's my calling. But, you know, you might be sitting back there thinking to yourself, you know, that joker, he shouldn't be on the praise team. I know about his life, and I know this person over here. Did you know that the pastor will stand before a holy and righteous and perfect God and give account for those people? Instead of giving him advice, why don't you give him your prayers? Why don't don't you recognize that God's calling for us is to obey and submit? Now, those words, you know, Jesus uh, didn't speak in English, of course, not even King James English, okay? He didn't speak in English at all. And so he didn't say obey and submit. He said Greek words that were translated. And and you know, when you do an extensive study of those words obey and submit in the original language, they mean obey and submit. (laughs) What do you know? Like eggheads who've spent their whole life studying the language got it right. Who would have thought, you know? I, I, I say, I, I know a little bit of Greek. Uh, Pastor Tom and I, you know, we use the same um, software 
to, uh, to be able to study and dig into the lexicon and understand the purpose and the intent. You know, a, a word in the Greek is more like a story. And, and it's translated down to a word, so a lot of times Pastor Tom will tell you stuff. I, I know the same uh, software he uses. I wanted to learn like that, and I asked him about his and the one he'd used. I happen to know that he's personally invested over $20,000 in Bible study books that are electronically on his device so that he can study them. There's nothing more terrifying for a preacher than to stand up and preach while Pastor Tom has his laptop open. I'd already got it in my notes. If he had that here, I was going to confiscate it. Take it away. I don't want any. He spent $20,000 on that. He's like, you need to get this program. This will really help you. And I'm like, dude, that's a lot of money. He's like, really? There's different levels. You probably just need the $500 level. I'm not making that. That's, he said that. I was like, well, let me see. Let me look and see which. I bought the $500 level, actually. He was about right. But with my version, I got a, a, a free personal assistant, to research assistant with mine. I didn't have to pay any extra. And all I have to do is take out my phone and text Pastor Tom a Bible question. Now, if you know him, like getting him to return a text message is like waiting on the second coming of Christ, right? I, it's it's, it's going to come one day, but I just don't know, you know. If you were to look at, like for me, I have like maybe one unread text message right now on my phone, and it's bothering me right now. It's distracting me from preaching. Like, who was that anyway? And I might have 35 emails I have not returned. If you pick up his phone and look, that little red bubble, that's a number no man can number, okay? <laughs> Thousands of emails. But if you want a right now response, like all you got to do is say, you know, I was thinking about uh, the Greek word eucharisto, and I think maybe the modern church doesn't understand what that means. What do you think? Kaboom. 87 text messages later, I've got all my sermon research done for a whole series. $20,000 well spent, my friend. I'm going to tell you. And everybody that was on that screen thanking him, they were, making, they were saying nice things. What they meant was, keep the text messages coming, Pastor Tom. All right, that's a fact, okay? So... Uh, so submission, really $20,000 worth of research later, it means to submit. And, and people don't like that. Actually, submission has never been popular, but it's in our culture today, it's rejected more than any other time. Now, some pastors have given us reason to reject submission because they have taken, anytime a person has authority, there's opportunity for that authority to be misused. And that, of course, because human beings are what runs the church uh, physically in the building. So there's going to be failures and mistakes. And so some people have given us reason not to trust the leadership in the local church. But let me say this abundantly clear. You cannot say that about your church. You absolutely have had the exact opposite of that. And the Bible says that you're to listen to that teaching and to accept it. You know, if you were somewhere else and you had a bad experience, that doesn't mean you throw away all that God's Word says. That's like going to a restaurant and having a bad meal and saying, that meal was so awful, I'm never going to eat again. That wouldn't work, would it? And so you wouldn't go away from a bad experience and say, well, I'll throw the church away. No, you need the church and the promise that it brings, but it commands us to be submitted to those who are over us in the Lord. I don't know if you know this, Pastor Tom is an overseer of my church. 
And, and I'm commanded to be submitted to him because the Lord placed him in that position in my life. And see, submission, a lot of people think they're submitted because they like the person in charge. And they agree with the things that they're slant for church and ministry and the way they see things, they like it. And I want to be submitted to that person. What if I told you that submission begins, only begins when you disagree? That's the only time you have to submit. If you like it, if you agree, there's no submission. And so submission literally means unless your leader is violating scripture, you're to follow their leadership. Now, that's, that's your instruction in this passage. That's my instruction as it relates to Pastor Tom in my, in my leadership structure. His instruction is to watch for your soul. Pastor Tom and Pastor Brenda are to watch for your soul. They have the burden of your spiritual life and well-being, knowing that they're supposed to point you to the cross and lead you to a place where you can find purpose and destiny and wisdom. They're to never preach a message for personal gain, but always for that purpose alone. Never to lead an initiative for personal gain, but always to lead and watch for the souls of God's children. And that's just what they have done. In fact, I, I, I'm not responding to any, I don't think this church has any problems that I know of. This is just good Bible. How many would agree this is the pastor God put in your life? Would you just give uh, Lord praise for putting that kind of pastor into your life? So I just want to take a minute and finish out this Bible, this little passage in Hebrews. And um, if, if somebody, Dan or someone will come up and play the keyboard. I, I said we would have to believe in the church. We have to look past the mistakes of individuals and believe in Jesus' church. We have to secondly submit to the church. We have to realize it was placed over us in its leadership structure for our good. And lastly, I would just say, let's commit to the church. Everybody say commit. Boy, there's nothing better for you than to be committed to this local church. Now, I'm part of God's church, and I just believe in Jesus, and I go to this church and that church. and I'm all, Well, you can't have authority in your life that way. And so you're out of order until you commit. I, I, regularly at my church, I invite people to join the church or leave the church. If you can't join the church here for your own good, go somewhere you can join the church. And if you've been to 18 churches and they've all got something wrong, the one thing that's in common with all those wrong churches is you. <laughs> Maybe it's time to just submit <laughs> and commit to the church. Hebrews 10, just these few verses before we're finished today. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near. Come on, verse, go to verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Everybody say draw near. This is what God called. Because we can trust God's church. Because God ordained leadership for us. He says what we need to do is draw near. Don't let anything hinder you from your worship and your walk with God. Press through any distractions or anything that might be imperfect and draw near. On the screen, I'm going to show you four things you need to do to draw near. I want you to say these with me. Repeat after me. Say, come together, come often, come early, come prepared. Let's read that whole thing together. Ready? Go. Come together, come often, come early, and come prepared. One more time, say, come together. come together. Get ready together. Ride together. Sit together. Worship together. Leave together. Go to lunch together.
pray together, discuss what you learned together. You're going to trade a morning of your life for this. And by the way, as I sat back there hiding uh, from Pastor Tom and, and, and just enjoying this, I, I was thinking to myself, man, I would so go to this church if I lived here. <laughs> the pressure of, of life the junk that gets thrown, you know, like you ever feel like your day was like, like, um, you were walking down the street and a car went through a mud puddle and just slung mud on you. Only it wasn't mud. It was an insult here or a disappointment there, or somebody lied to you. Come on, wave me. If you know what I'm talking about, like just junk got thrown on you. That's all of us. As I thought about that from my seat in the back and you guys were doing this amazing worship, you guys washed it off of me. Dan, you guys just washed it off of me and so many more people. Worship washes you. I've never been in church with Pastor Tom when there wasn't spirit-filled, anointed worship where he's leading or Brenda's leading or this team. What a gift. You need to come together and embrace that. Everybody say, come together. Say, come often. Come every time the doors are open. Be here every time. I don't know what worship service is going to change your life, but I know which one will not, the one you didn't show up for. I don't know which small group was going to change your life, but the one you didn't sign up will definitely be the one that didn't. Which, I don't know which serving project or which connection because you're serving on the dream team. I don't know which mission trip would have changed your life, but I know the one that won't is the one that you were too busy for, so get involved as much as you can. Everybody say, come often. Now say, come early. I don't know about here, but at Daystar Church, where I pastor, from two minutes before church service starts until 10 minutes after, it is like a herd of people coming. Some of you right now already know where you're going to eat lunch. You're like, when is this joker going back to Alabama where I can go to lunch? Let me tell you something. Wrong attitude toward church. It's like, I'm going to hustle in, check the box, do what I was supposed to do, and get out of here. Let me tell you, the, the, the church is woefully inept to bless people who want church for dummies, right? I take my iPad to get worked on. I don't want to know what you did to make it work. Make it work and give it back. I'll give you the hundred, two, three, four hundred dollars, and I just want it back. You can't treat your worship experience like that. You need to get in here, get early, connect with people, get to know somebody, join a ministry team, join a group, all those groups with videos of people. Do you see the love and the camaraderie of all those teams? Get on one of those teams. Everybody say, come early, and then say, come prepared. Don't come just to get, come to give. Plan on giving a love, a smile. Plan on serving in some capacity. Plan on setting aside a significant portion of your income to give to the mission of this church. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are the most blessed people on planet Earth. Americans are. It's not, it's just a fact. Uh, it's, it's accurately a fact. Let's be a blessing. Let's serve people with our time. Let's prepare to receive. And verse 23, if I could just go back to verse 23. I picked this translation just for you, Pastor Tom. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Everybody say unswervingly. unswervingly. I love that word, unswervingly. Look at your neighbor and say, don't swerve. don't swerve. Don't you hate these people on the parkway who are just like trying to get there two seconds faster? They're turning right from the left-hand lane. They're doing all their, all of them have an Alabama tag on. I know it. <laughs> Swerving, trying to get there. 
Listen, some of us, our, our Christian life is like that. If, if you could imagine again that, that picture of that house that was caving in, be, being someone's spiritual life. Can I tell you the commute for them to get to that house was a swervy one. I'm in the faith, I'm out of the faith. I'm in this church, I'm out of this church. I'm making a promise. Maybe that was just emotion. I won't do that anymore. This pastor made me mad. I can't believe he said that. It's too hot, it's too cold. I don't like the songs. They're they're too young, they're too old. Man, pick a lane and be faithful. Man, I wish I had one of those t-shirts. Pick a lane and just be faithful. That's not my opinion. I'm not trying to get you to help the organization. I'm reading it straight out of Scripture. Let us hold unswervingly for he who promised is faithful. God has a plan for your life, but he won't chase you down to give it to you. And let us, verse 24, consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us, say that word with me, encourage. Everybody say encourage. Let us encourage one another. If you treat New Hope Church like Dollar General, it's not going to change your life. In when you need something, grab it out and don't think about it again until you run out. It won't change your life that way. But man, if you commit, you don't swerve, you encourage other people, God will change your life forever. Last little story about Pastor Tom and me. There's a place in Scripture where Jonathan and David met. And I just noticed this verse. I noticed the way it's written just this year. But it said, Then... God knit their hearts together. I thought, what a cool way to describe the the David and Jonathan relationship in the Old Testament. Two men, very different, and God knit them together. Different backgrounds, maybe different worldviews as far as we know, but they were knit together. That happened for me with Pastor Tom. Really, I've known him a long time through some connections we had. But we were really knit together over a decade ago. Right, if my my directions are right, um, because of this river that runs right behind the church. You know, the river in Scripture represents the Holy Spirit. And, And I was just about burned out in ministry. I was about to be one of those statistics. I won't quit. I will not quit. I, I'm not, I just can't quit. I'd be more likely the guy who just ran off the road and crashed somewhere. But that's where I was headed, to be one of those statistics. Pastor Tom arranged for me to stay up here somewhere in a place on the river, and God changed my life forever. Part of that was the obedience to Sabbath and time alone with God, but part of that was my time with Pastor Tom around a campfire right on the banks of the French Broad River. And God talked to me. Let me tell you something. This river will mess with your head. This river goes backwards sometimes. Y'all think I'm crazy. You, you, you get in a house on the river and take about four days where you haven't talked to another human being, you haven't had TV or internet. All you've done is sit on a little dock and look at the river and the cows on the other side. And every day as you're praying, worshiping, the river's going this way, left to right, left to right, left to right. One morning you get up and start praying, it's going right to left. I thought I'd lost my mind. I thought like voodoo, this is a voodoo river. There's a devil in this river. What is happening here? I threw stuff in the river. I like threw flowers. It was going that way. I'm telling you, this thing will mess with your mind. I wrote a whole, like I came back to my church and preached a whole message about the river of God. I thought about preaching it here today. 
Maybe I'll get an invite back and I'll preach that river message. But that week, God really introduced me to a lifelong friend that I could lean on and I could trust and who could pour into my life. And we could, as Pastor Travis said, Tom's like an, it's like an elder brother. You know, that, that some days he speaks to me like a father would a son. Some days I speak to him like a father would a son. But every day he's like that older brother who wants what's best for me. He's not the elder brother from Jesus' story of the prodigal son. He's the opposite of that brother. He's that brother who wants you to go right back in the palace when you've been in the pigsty. Isn't that wonderful? You go to a church where the pastor wants you to get up out of the pigsty, walk right into the palace. Nobody to judge you, nobody to tell you you don't belong. This is the kind of brother he is. And I started seeing rivers differently from that moment on. Let me read you one passage about a river that Ezekiel saw. Chapter 47, verse 1, it says, The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple. And then he bought, brought me through the north gate and led me outside to the outer gate, and the water was flowing. And as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then I went into the water ankle deep. And he measured off a thousand, another thousand, and the water was knee deep. Yes. Then he measured another thousand, and the water went up to the waist. Yes. And he measured another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross. Because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. Back to why you're here, I want, you to, I want you to answer this question in your heart. How deep into the river of God's church do you want to go? Most Jesus fish Christians are about ankle deep. This feels pretty awesome. This is really cool, but it's not really changing my life at all. And then some of them will say, I'm going to go a little deeper, and they'll go knee deep. And then you start to really feel the current, and things get a little scary because you start to lose a little bit of control. And then we start to swerve. Everybody say swerve. Bible says quit swerving, right? Hold on unswervingly. And so if we overcome that propensity to swerve, we go a little deeper and the Bible says we're now waist deep. And that's where the battle really begins. Because when you get waist deep, have you ever noticed you can stand like this outside of a raging river, but when you get waist deep in the river, you got to get like this. Because that river's got other ideas of where you need to go. And you start to decide at the waist level, you decide, am I in or am I out? Because there's a control issue. And most of us, we get back where we can be in control. But what did the Holy Spirit say where he wants you? Go a thousand more steps and get in there to where it's over your head. You know who's in control when you're in a river over your head? The river's in control. You know where you go when you're in the river over your head? You go wherever the river wants you to go, right? I was in the Ocoee River years ago, and I fell out of my, my tube. You know where I went? Where it wanted me to go. I was doing all the swimming I knew how, and I still went where it wanted me to go. You know what the river of God is in Scripture? It's the Holy Spirit. 
Can I speak to you today just prophetically that what God is calling you to is an experience that is not religious into your ankles and not up to your knees and not just a little bit deeper up to your waist, but in a place where you're not in control anymore, but the Holy Spirit controls your life. And I promise you, he's going to take you into the temple of God all the way to where it began in the sanctuary of God's presence, where there is peace and hope and provision and protection and purpose for your life. Let go of control and say, God, have your way in my life. I wish everybody would lift your hands to the heavens. Would you just say this in faith? God, have your way in my life. Come on, say it with me. Jesus, have your way in my life. Jesus, I surrender to your plan. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.